Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the 523rd edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other writers over at jerseysportingnews.com on local uh, sports and, of course, the New York Red Bulls and New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my ability, and hopefully everything will be A-OK. Well, it's been firing season all over MLS. Yap Stam has been sacked by uh, FC Cincinnati, unfortunately for him. Um, We've seen other firings this season as well, some interesting stuff going on, but, you know, as we prepare and get ready for this show, and let's not forget, of course, next month, the next window of World Cup qualification matches will be underway. There'll be two at home, one on the road against Jamaica, at Panama, and against Costa Rica. And it should be a fun one, and we'll get to those in due time, of course, as we prepare ourselves for a huge round of World Cup qualification matches. And let's hope that uh, Greg Berhalter has learned his lesson. And we get at least six points out of the two home matches to start the October window. But tonight, opening monologue, I want to start off by saying that, once again, you all know where I'm coming from with this. You all know why I continue to say these magic words, every club of every league must have a stadium of their own. It's not just on the level of Major League Soccer. It's every single club in every single league. It does not matter how big the stadium is. All that matters is that the land is purchased by said club and they find a way to get it done. And I hope that will be the next step for some of these other clubs below Major League Soccer, obviously, you know, those clubs in the championship level that have so far done a very good job of building or at least are trying to build stadiums of their own. Obviously, the clubs that have their own stadiums are Austin Bold, um, Charlotte Independent, Colorado Springs Switchbacks, and so on. Hartford Athletic, of course, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, you know, um, Loudoun United, Louisville City, uh, and so on and so on and so on. And then you get to New Mexico United. And what they have done in Albuquerque has been absolutely outstanding. They have brought professional soccer in where I think it, it's going to stay for a long time. I think that the ownership 
uh, group that Mr. Trevisani has uh, done for the city of Albuquerque has been amazing. Currently, they're at the minor league ballpark, Isotopes Park, at the Albuquerque Isotopes, the AAA baseball team in minor league baseball, the Pacific Coast League, the moment. What he has done, I think he has transformed Albuquerque into a soccer town. Not that it was never a soccer town, because of at the time... University of New Mexico Lobos had a great soccer program. But Peter Trevisani is trying to now build a soccer stadium for not just his club, but for the supporters and for the fans of his club and for the city of Albuquerque. And that is always going to be the next best thing to come to build a soccer stadium inside of his city, inside the city limits, to go out, have a game plan, and not only making the club relevant, which it already is in Albuquerque, but make it more relevant inside American soccer throughout the nation, throughout USL Championship, and for U.S. soccer. But as always with stadium projects, it comes at opposition. And you're going to have to find a way to convince members of the Albuquerque government, the city council of Albuquerque, to get on board with this project. Now, I want to bring up a gentleman, and let me just say this. He is on Twitter. I'm not going to give you his Twitter account. And if when I do give you his name, do not flood his emails. Do not flood letters. I do not want you to harass him or bring him down or tear him down like what has happened in recent months and years now because everybody wants a piece of the action and they want to bring others down because they have a difference of an opinion. He has a difference of an opinion. He feels, he feels that building a stadium for New Mexico United is not worth the time and he does not want the city to be left holding the bag if New Mexico United do or that they decide to leave the Albuquerque area. Now, let me just say this. I don't think they're going to leave the Albuquerque area. I don't think that's the case. I think they're going to remain here for a good long time. And I think it's time that the city council actually listens to Mr. Trevisani because he does care about the community, because he does care from everything I've heard about him, that he wants to have a successful professional soccer club in Albuquerque and representing the state of New Mexico. Countless clubs have tried and failed. Trevisani probably might be the one to give success. But I will say this, and I'm quoting him right now, and this is Mr. Dr. M. 
Tullus Cicero, where he believes that this situation involving building a stadium will not help. That he believes it's going to be a money pit. He believes that it's a waste of time. Basically, in his fourth tweet during his rant, he says, I'll be voting against the stadium proposal, and I suggest it's promotes, uh, promoters pursue options in Rio Rancho instead. Now, depending on how far away Rio Rancho is from Albuquerque, I do not know. But I think for Albuquerque, this would be a lost cause, because let me tell you why. Because when you have a stadium built in a city, in a certain neighborhood of said city, you want that area to flourish, not only financially, but at the same time, bringing in people who want to live within the area. Now, granted, I'm from New York City. I'm from the Bronx, Madison Square Garden in Midtown Manhattan or lower Manhattan, excuse me. You have Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, in the neighborhood. There is not a problem at all because of, of course, not just local transportation with the New York City subway, train cars, but there are people who live in the neighborhood that can easily walk to Yankee Stadium. Just a couple of blocks away. And the same thing goes with Madison Square Garden, can get to City Field by the number seven train and by the Long Island Railroad. If they can build a light rail or a transit system to go from downtown Albuquerque to wherever they want to build the stadium at, either near the Isotopes ballpark or within the vicinity of Albuquerque, I think that's a brilliant idea. I think it's a fun idea. I think it's a smart idea. But once again, this man needs to be believed, or he has to have belief that it can work. But the one, argu- the one moment I think his argument is flawed, and I'm being kind here, flawed, by Mr. Cicero, Dr. Cicero, excuse me, is this fifth tweet that he put in to talk about his argument of going against the stadium being built in the Albuquerque area. And that argument is pairing the amount of money spent by the city of Montreal for the 1976 Summer Olympic Games, and it took 30 years to get that Olympic Village slash the Olympic um, sports stadiums to be constructed. It took them 30 years to repay or to finally finish paying off whatever debt that the Olympic Stadium and the surrounding events being built in 1976. It took 30 years. That argument is flawed. 
that argument does not hold water. You are making a case against an Olympics that's only held once in a lifetime, unless you're lucky enough to get it twice, but you have to wait many, many years to get a second crack at it to host either the winter or the summer games. A stadium meant for a professional sports club, whether it be baseball, basketball, NFL, hockey, and soccer, will be used periodically within six to seven months every single season. I can attest to this and seeing the light of it because Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey, the amount of growth of apartments and condos and businesses being built within that area of Harrison has been booming. Businesses, factories being constructed, improvements to local transit like the PATH train got two brand new entrances and the platforms were extended to allow those entrances to be a part of it going into Newark and into Jersey City and New York City. Too easy now these days to claim a stadium will not fix or will not improve an area. Now, once again, Mr. Cicero, Cicero, he can say whatever he wants. This is his belief, and I understand what he, where he's coming from, but those days are gone. And the only flaw in his argument is the Olympics. This is not a once-in-a-lifetime event. And unfortunately, the once-in-a-lifetime event has ruined other countries like in Greece. Sorry, Evo and other places in Europe. It's time to please to the city council of Albuquerque, allow New Mexico United to build the stadium because it will help your area. It will bring financial assistance and help to your area. It will improve. I've seen it firsthand at Red Bull Arena. There are other stadiums as well that need this situation. It is time to go out and finally get this idea done. Because the sport needs stadiums. We do not need athletic field complexes or minor league baseball stadiums to support our sport anymore great show for you tonight ladies and gentlemen we are going to talk about tonight the revamped CONCACAF Champions League that was just passed last Tuesday by the president of CONCACAF Victor Montagliani uh, of course from originally from the Canadian Soccer Association joining me tonight my two guests tonight of course up in Canada we have Dwayne Rollins 24th minute blog and of course co-host of the Soccer Today show, along with Kevin Laramie through Sports Podcasting Network. And joining me tonight from the world of CONCACAF podcast, Jonathan, um, <clears throat> Jonathan, I want to make sure I get your uh, last name correctly, 
Slape? Slape or slap? It's slape. Thank you very much. Jonathan Slape, ladies and gentlemen, joining me from the World of CONCACAF podcast. Dwayne, I want to go to you first, obviously, because Victor Montagliani has recognized that the crown jewel tournaments in club competition in CONCACAF needed an upgrade. Even though I think a group stage would have been better, you know, I don't mind seeing him basically adding this opening round and adding more spots to give other clubs within all three zones of this confederation to compete hard to get into that opening round and then into the knockout stages of this tournament. Victor Montagliani, Dwayne, has been incredible since taking over for Jeffrey Webb. Yeah, I, uh, certainly Victor's done a lot of good stuff. And, and one, one of the great things I think he's done is he's found a way to be inclusive of the region. And, and this uh, revamped structure does certainly speak to that. Now, when you're trying to evaluate anything Victor does, and I've you know, known him for over a decade now, uh, so I speak from a little bit of uh, from understanding, I think. You have to realize that he is ultimately at his core a political animal, and he is very ambitious. And all of the moves that he makes are always with that in mind. And I'm not necessarily saying that is a bad thing. It's just it informs him, and it informs how you should uh, look at him. And when you look at what he's done in this, you mentioned the regions, the three parts of CONCACAF. And ruling CONCACAF in the past has been very difficult because you need to sort of control – very different interests from different parts of the region. And, you know, personally in the past, you mentioned some names there. Uh, there's been other names that shall not be named anymore that, that certainly were caught with their pants down, so to speak, or, or with brown envelopes, depending on how you want to put it. And that's how you rule CONCACAF. And Victor is not like that, but what he does do is he, he understands the horse trading game and in politics. And, and a lot of what they do is they give something to the rich co- countries, which you need, and that would be the Nations League, uh, sorry, not the Nations League, pardon me, the, the League's Cup a revamp that, that's going to go forward in two years. That's kind of the carrot they gave them to allow them to sort of agree to st- structures like the Nations League, like this uh, new CCL. That all is part and parcel of what he does, and, and you got to respect him for it on a certain level. Now, whether this competition is going to be as fun to watch for us or is – as competitive or, or anything, we won't really know until we see it play out. Um, you know, I have some concerns with it from a format perspective, but you know, as a final thought before I let uh, let us all jump in here, um, you know, what I will say about Concacaf is they're not afraid to to switch things up if it's not working. So, so we'll see how it plays out, and, and they'll tweak it if they need to down the line. Jonathan, I think you would agree that, you know, as a fan of the game in this region, and we all know that the top two regions are always going to be Europe and South America. You know, they've had millions and millions of historic moments with either the UEFA Champions League or the Copa Libertadores. And, you know, those clubs have probably, you know, depending on what country of those continental areas are, we all know the amount of titles that have been won uh, by those said clubs in those said countries of those two con- um, continental areas of the world to see CONCACAF trying to, I wouldn't say element, um, you know, equal that because we're not there yet, but the growth of this has been really strong. And to see 
how we are growing up as a confederation in this region, whether it be in the North Zone, whether it's in the Central American Zone, even in the Caribbean Zone, it looks like we're finally no longer going to be the joke of this whole world of football. What do you think? I mean, I, I don't think that – I mean, I don't know if being the joke is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think one of the things that draws a lot of people to CONCACAF is maybe some of the the quirkiness, as we could we could say. Um, but I, I am really excited about this new format and to see how it goes. And, and um, to Dwayne's point, like seeing how they adapt this, because I, I think that there's a pretty good chance that this is not the final uh, version of CONCACAF Champions League that we even see in the next few years. Um, but I do like to see that there being um, some spots available for the Canadian Premier League uh, teams. Um, I do wish we saw a little bit of ways for maybe something like it, like the USL clubs to make their way in, which um, just because I think you know having more competition in, in this in this region in this tournament would be good. But I mean, I, I am excited with you know the inclusion of the Central American Cup and then the Caribbean Cup as well. It's just going to be interesting to see you know, what this new format looks like and then how they adapt from there. Yeah, I agree with you there, Jonathan. Uh, That'll be another argument uh, for another time about the USL clubs getting an opportunity. But, you know, once again, they got to win the Open Cup, and the Open Cup uh, gives you that spot to go into the Champions League. So we'll see what happens uh, down the road. They got to host the Open Cup first, though. That's very true. That's very, very true. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, And uh, qualifying is underway already for the U.S. Open Cup. And, you know, Dwayne, you know, as Jonathan said, you must be very proud. I know you were hoping and praying. I know many Canadian soccer fans, including uh, Anthony Totero, who's now part of the Canadian Premier League front office, obviously, uh, wanted to see more opportunities for Canadian players, uh, Canadian head coaches, uh, you know, assistant coaches, fans to get an opportunity because it's not it's not just what toronto montreal and vancouver does in mls you definitely wanted to see more opportunities for canadian players all across your region and to see the canadian premier league earning two spots when you get to the final i you know the uh, the champion and the runner-up Going into the Champions League, into that opening round, that must make you feel very happy. Obviously, you're with Kevin Laramie. Probably both of you have spoken about this and your friends and his friends, that you're getting more pieces of the pie for Canadian soccer. I am happy for the teams, yeah, for sure. What I will say, and this may surprise people, is is that um, I actually kind of prefer their way in right now through the CONCACAF League, uh, which obviously is not going to exist anymore once once the changes have happened. And I do think there is a bit of a loss there because that competition was a little more even. You know, we kind of flippantly called it the Europa League of CONCACAF. And, and of course, it's not doesn't have the history of that by any means, but it, it had sort of similarities in terms of the teams that were there. But I do think it served a role in this in this region that allowed teams of a different sort of level to compete and to tie it into the USL conversation. I ultimately think that might be a tweak you could do down the line is to sort of have a repechage, so to speak. So teams that didn't qualify through other means to come together, whether regardless of what region they are, to play some kind of series that way. And I mean, it's awfully easy to do fantasy formats over the over a podcast, so I'm not going to go too deeper into that. But but I do think we are losing something. We we watched um, Forge, the champions of the two-time champions of the Canadian Premier League, that's a team out of Hamilton, Ontario, which is just outside of Toronto. For those that don't know, 
Uh, they uh, have done quite well at that league, at the CONCACAF league. They made the, uh, the quarterfinals the last time. They, they uh, narrowly lost to a Haitian team in that play-in game that would have put them into CCL proper, and they really dominated that. It was, it was quite unlucky. There was a goalkeeping error involved that, that saw them go out. So they have proven that they can compete with the Central American teams, with the Caribbean teams. Once the Canadian teams get into this, this new league proper, because they're in the North region, it's going to get hard them and that's a a step up that i I think is going to be difficult to make without um you hope that they they have the ability to uh to compete on some level and for sure you know competitive competitors you know just the sort of ability to step up in the day is always going to be there but we just watched uh this past uh, canadian championship round just finished a couple weeks ago certainly we saw you know tfc the bottom team in all of mls just absolutely destroyed the fourth place team in campiel four nil um, and a game. And that kind of tells you a little bit about the gap. And I'm not sure the Campiel is ready to jump in right away and compete with uh, with even a bottom of the MLS side, regardless of, of, you know, taking that next step up and trying to go play a club Lyon or something. So, so I do think there's a need, uh, there's a need to examine this closely and to make sure that the teams are competing at a level that allows them to grow. I don't know if we're going to gain a lot from throwing a second Canadian Premier League team into the mix, if they're just going to go, lose 4 nil to the bottom team in MLS every year. Well, it wouldn't be the bottom team in that case, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, Dwayne, but we'll have to wait and see, of course, when we get to 2024. And Jonathan, obviously, you and the boys on the uh, podcast, of course, if you follow them, it's Podcast, uh for their show uh, on Twitter. Um, to see the Central American clubs now fighting for spots to move into – the opening round of this tournament, obviously, uh, to get a good five, six spots. Five spots, obviously, to get into the opening round. The, the winner of the Uncaf Cup Championship for the clubs goes automatically to the round of 16, waiting for those 11 round one winners. Um, and, of course, you're seeing two uh, positions in the uh, Caribbean I mean, this is a, you, you can definitely say that, you know, there is finally going to be some form of a balance in the other two zones where we all know the majority will come from Canada, U.S., and Mexico. But you're finally going to see these clubs really battling it out for a bunch of spots that are still up for grabs, and it does not end when the regular season is over. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to give you an opportunity to to see kind of how, how a lot of these teams stack up against some of the you know the Liga Liga MX and, and MLS competition and uh, the CPL because I think that we're going to see uh, you know some issues as far as from a budget budgeting standpoint of like you know the gaps from you know even we see the gaps in from US to Mexico um, with between those two leagues but seeing the gaps. Um, with both the the Central American clubs and and the Caribbean clubs, what I'm hoping though is it may start off a, a bit you know lopsided, but I think getting and we'll we'll get an idea of where we sit with you know the money that comes in because of this. Um, but hopefully we see that you know elevate the level of of both Central American and Caribbean club soccer um, to a level we haven't seen before. So I think any time that there's more money uh, flowing into that area uh, is is nothing but a good thing. And I, I'm super interested to see, you know, we'll probably see a, a lot more of the El Jalajuenses, uh, Herodianos, those type of clubs. But I mean, I think it'll be, it'll be really interesting, especially with, you know, a Central American team and a Caribbean team coming in into the round of 16 as well. 
Um, so we're going to see a lot of representation even in that final round. Absolutely. Now, let's just remind everybody what's going to happen here. So right off the bat, there's going to be a grand total of 27 clubs going into the CONCACAF Champions League, depending on how they're going to qualify for it. Now, once again, for, there will be five clubs representing all zones of, North, of uh, CONCACAF, whoever is the Liga MX Champions, which I'm assuming is going to be whoever wins both Apentura Clausura titles, will automatically get a berth. The MLS Cup Champions will get a berth. The League's Cup Champions, which has now been now a glorified tournament forever and ever now to get those three spots, the League's Cup Champions will also advance to the round of 16. The CFU Club Cup Champions and the UNCAF, which stands for United uh, National Conf- uh, Central American Football uh, Club Cup Champions, depending on which section of Central America they're going to be coming from, will advance to the round of 16, and the rest will be coming out of the opening round. So 22 teams uh, will av- 22 teams in round one, 11 of them will advance into the round of 16. Now, it will be five berths for Mexico. There will be four berths for MLS, the Open Cup champion. We've already said Canadian Premier League champion and runner-up, the Canadian Championship runner uh, champion, excuse me, League's Cup runners-up in third place, and in the UNCAF Club Cup, the runners-up, two semifinal uh, clubs that have lost that match, and the two play-in winners uh, who have won their play-in matches will go automatically into the opening round, and then once again, the uh, Caribbean CFU Club Cup runners-up and third-place teams uh, will also advance into the opening round, so it's going to be interesting, and obviously we don't know when we're going to see uh, the schedule being done. I'm assuming it will be in the spring of 2024, but once again, guys, and, and Dwayne, back to you, you know, I'm glad there's an opening round because I think I've said this many, many times. We all know, and you know it as well as Jonathan knows it as well, MLS, MLS teams, whether they come from the United States or Canada, now Canadian Premier League teams are now thrown into, into this equation. When you get to the end of February or from the middle of February to the end of it, there are no league matches until you get to March. And that has been a problem for MLS teams trying to advance deep into the tournament. There has been, of course, Toronto that one year in 2018 get into the final against Guadalajara. Um, at BMO, to, excuse me, at uh, Azteca to open the thing. And then, of course, BMO, probably, I probably mixed that up anyway, but um, to, to basically have everything start end of February, that the clubs are still in their preseason mode and they haven't done anything much. I mean, they'll win the, that opening round, but it's always the quarterfinals that puts a stop to everything. Yeah, well, certainly that is. A problem across MLS. They, their season is uh, isn't long enough, and they're not in form at the start of the year for sure. I mean, we, you, you mentioned the TFC run. That obviously was an outlier on a very special team, and and I think it's important to also point out that uh, that run destroyed them. They, they were injured to, to the point that they could not compete in the in the MLS regular season after that. So, so that tells you a little bit about the about the difference in quality between uh, the Mexican teams and MLS teams in terms of the depth in particular. But um, 
look, yeah, I mean, that will help a little bit, Daniel, but I, I think that there are many more issues that MLS has to, to deal with in terms to, to bridge that gap other than just scheduling. Um, obviously, weather is always going to be a concern and a problem. I mean, I'm in Canada. I can tell you that, that, that we're not going to be starting the season here in February anytime soon. I, it just it wouldn't be safe. And I, I say that – I don't say that flippantly. It, it legitimately would not be safe to play or to travel to games or to – have fans travel to games in, in the dead of winter in this country, particularly in parts of the, the country that are further north, right? So that's that's let's be realistic when it comes to that. Um, so yeah, you're gonna have to address that. I think there's other ways to do it and than than this, but uh, we'll see if it is it helps close the gap. Look, the the league's cup, which is part and parcel with this, and I'm not a big fan of what they're planning to do there. To be to be candid with you, I, I think it takes away from the season, but that's neither here nor there. That, to me, is going to be the bigger measuring form for, for MLS, and it's going to be more informative in terms of whether they're really, truly interested to compete. Because as it stands right now, the, league, the, the, the Mexican teams are going to hand them their butt that first tournament, and we'll see whether MLS responds with, with doing the changes they need to do in terms of spending and in terms of roster build uh, to make that to close that gap. So we'll see. There's a lot of moving parts to this, and we don't quite know how this is going to look when it all plays out. We'll see. We'll see. But, Jonathan, besides those issues that, of course, MLS is going to face and and putting a stop to their regular season for one month in the summer, um, that's going to be a very strange time because usually we would see at least a two-week break for either CONCACAF Gold Cup group stage matches, uh, World Cup group stage matches. We're going to see a full month put on hold just to get three spots to get inside the CONCACAF Champions League bat when it gets ready uh, in 2024. Of course, that's going to start for the League's Cup in 2023. That's going to be very, very strange to see, and this also means that we're not going to probably see a break like that for the Gold Cup for CONCACAF. And do you feel for CONCACAF that they may have to now adjust their tournaments again for the national teams and say – this is no longer a biannual event. This is going to now be once every four years. I I, I don't know what they'll, what they'll do and how that's going to affect things like like the Concacaf, uh, Concacaf, the Gold Cup because I mean you're still going to run into the issue where uh, we still I mean the big thing is we don't know when this break is going to happen in League's Cup. I mean there's a lot of talk that it's going to be like mid June uh, to mid August. Um, but that's still a lot of times the the Gold Cup is is running at that exact same time. So um, it's really going to be interesting to see how we ba- how the leagues and Concacaf itself balances you know their premier um, international or their premier international soccer tournament with um, the League's Cup and how that interferes because we do also know that League's Cup is only going to take place in MLS venues. So there's not going to be a situation where those games are happening in Mexico. We know that those are all going to be either in the U.S. or Canada, which then also runs into the Gold Cup is usually within the U.S. Uh, and I think there's just going to be a lot of juggling there. And, I mean, I, I would I, – I, I've not – like Dwayne said, I'm not a fan of the League's Cup either. Um, I think it really takes away from the, the season. But also, I'm just curious how many teams are going to take us 100% seriously. Um, we do know that the format's going to change through the first couple years as new MLS teams are added. Um, 
but for the most part, three team groups. Um, I mean, if you lose your first two games and are, you know, eliminated, you still have a month to sit around. So it's just going to be interesting to see how teams um, involved in the League's Cup handle it. Yeah, that's very true. And I guess the other question I have, Dwayne, is how will this affect the international calendar in some ways? And obviously it's not going to be a big deal because it doesn't involve club tournaments only when you get to the FIFA Club World Cup, and that's going to get changed up, but that'll be another topic for another time. But to see players from Toronto who are either playing for the U.S. men's national team or for the Canadian men's national team, they're going to miss – they'll probably be missing – uh, moments depending on when uh, you know international matches are going to be played, whether it be for World Cup qualifying or for the Gold Cup, if the Gold Cup will be played on those dates for the international calendar. I mean, I think CONCACAF, as great of a job as Victor has done, I think he's going to realize very soon and very quickly that there might be some issues before you even get to 2024. I don't think the League's Cup was necessarily Victor's grand plan. I think that was his... Uh, trade-off for for what he wanted, which were other uh, sort of concessions that have been given here and there. And it's going to be a scheduling nightmare. And it was the first thing I thought of when when this thing was announced is how in heck are you going to manage to squeeze a gold cup in there too? Um, We don't know. We just don't know. I I mean, I'll be convinced the League's Cup is going to happen exactly how it was announced when I see it happen. I I still think there's pieces to move there. We'll see. Um, I'm not sure that it's the money that's going to change hands there. The the way that that's going to further divide the the confederation up. That I'm I'm not convinced we won't see some pushback from, or we're not even seeing pushback behind the scenes already to it. So we'll see. But it's certainly, yeah, it's it's just a mess scheduling wise. I mean, it's these players are humans, and I think we forget that in our in like I said fantasy formats that we like to create in our heads. We kind of forget that there's real athletes with real bodies and, and real concerns that, that we're trying to put through these, these paces. Um, and it, you know, they break down. I mentioned it with the TFC's run in 2018 and how it, it really destroyed the rest of their season and, and knocked them off. What was a juggernaut team knocked them off balance and they weren't able to recover really until the next summer when they went on another run to almost cup final that year. It's, it's really something that you have to factor in and consider. And I'm, I'm not sure it completely has been yet, which is why I don't think that these formats that we're talking about today are, are set in stone and they're always tweakable. They're always changeable. Say what you want about CONCACAF. It is not bound by, by millions of years of history or hundreds of years of history, I guess. It, it, it really <laughs> is adaptable. That way. It is a strength for it. it, it that, that's a, a benefit. That's a, a feature, not a bug. And, and hopefully, you know, if this is causing problems, they all have people in place that are willing to make those changes and, and they will make them. So, so let's see. I'm, I'm trying to not be negative Nelly when it comes to all this stuff, but you know that's kind of the nature of a journalist, the nature of someone who's been doing this for a decade to, to always kind of see instantly the negative side, and, and maybe I shouldn't do that. So I'll, I'll keep an open mind until it plays out. I'm sure I'll be watching it when it happens, so uh, so we'll see. Yeah, Here, I'm negative Nelly. The, the, I was say, I'm curious if the pushback <laughs> is going to come even more from the player side. I mean, you got to think that, you know, you're adding in, you know, a potential, you're adding in a guaranteed two more games for the, uh, for the MLS and Liga Mekis teams. Um, but I mean, it could be upwards of, of five. And so I'm just wondering how much of that pushback is going to come from the player side of, we can't keep playing all these games. I mean, it, it takes a toll on the body. And then, you know, from a monetary standpoint of, you know, 
what are they getting compensated extra for this? Yeah, I've heard well, then John, the, yeah. number that's, the number that's been banded around is a $10 million prize, which is great if you win the thing. Uh, but I'm not sure. Well, I think it's telling that the CBA was negotiated before they ironed this stuff out. Um, and I'm sure that the Players Association, for MLS anyway, I can't speak with as much much information about, about the Mexican side. But in MLS side, I'm positive that the players are already making sure that they're they're going to be compensated correctly for this because they absolutely need to be. And hopefully they were included as, as more of an equal partner in this. But I I haven't heard an announcement from them, so so we'll see how that plays out. Like I said, there, there's this is not set in stone yet. That's very true, but I will say this, Jonathan. Um, does this mean now, because of the uh, you know the 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 MLS two teams that are playing in Championship and League One, you know, like Toronto FC two, New England Revolution two, Red Bulls two, Monarchs, and and so on and so on and so on, does that mean that they're going to have to now use some of those players for uh, filling in roster spots when you get the League's Cup? I mean, they're going to have to. I mean, but I think that's where we're going to see the big gap between League of and, and MLS teams. I mean, if you look at the most recent, you know, League Cup, League's Cup final, I mean, Seattle goes up 1-0, and then you just watch the players that Lyon is able to bring off the bench, um, and there's just a huge gulf. Like, in, in that, you know, first 15 players, I think there's, you know, there's some comparability between League of and, and MLS, but then when you get further down and the the additional bench players and the squad players that are able to come in and fill those gaps. I mean, I think that's really where we're going to see the golf um, and it's going to come down to, too, like what are they going to increase spending um, for these teams and how, how is the purse strings going to be loosened um, for specifically for the MLS teams, but they're going to, they're going to have yeah. to leverage the USL teams uh, the and the uh, reserve teams that they have in place already. No, I agree with you there. And, Dwayne, that's the one thing I think MLS is going to have to start realizing now is that Don Garber, Commissioner Don Garber, look, I understand how much of a issue it has been ever since this, that the Champions Cup became a Champions League that he wants finally a club, whether it comes from the U.S. and Canada, to finally win the damn thing over a Liga MX side, and they still haven't been able to do it. And at the same time, we all know the situation in Mexico. They have unlimited amounts of money and unlimited amounts of resources to go out, get some of the best players that they want, whether they come from within Central America, within South America, because there are Argentines, there are Colombians, there are Brazilians that do play in Mexico. And, of course, they develop their own players as well within the clubs and their own academies. But, you know, it, it, you know it's time, I think, for MLS, and I agree with Johnson, it's time to uh, lighten the load a little bit. It's time to open up the purse strings. I'm not saying they have to blow the entire bank. I'm not saying they have to smash the piggy bank. But at least there's got to be more incremental or at least more money to be allowed to spend for talent to come into MLS. I'm not saying that these clubs have to ignore the homegrown talents that they're producing, like what Toronto has done, what Dallas has done, the Red Bulls have done, and most of these other MLS teams have done, but it's time to start growing up, and you can't have just you can't have a salary cap along with the single entity rules hamstringing clubs when you're not able to either get out of the quarterfinals or you're not able to move into the final into the final round since Toronto did last time, and of course, I would say the last American club was still Real Salt Lake. 
yeah, the RSL run was really, really an outlier. When you look back upon it, it it, it was. And, you know, we've seen a couple teams go to semifinals that, that are more traditional MLS teams. But, the, you know, when TFC went deep, it was really with a, with a team that had a roster spend that had was about 12 or 15 million higher than the other MLS teams around them, right? And, and you know, that had to do with the three DPs and how much they were spending for them. Um, that's going to be harder and harder to do. And MLS is actually increasing the, uh, the rules around how they're able to, to um, how they're able to control that spending. But when you're, you're talking about spend and you're talking about MLS trying to close that gap, it's, it's more complicated than just roster spend. It, it's how they put uh, money in buckets and you have to spend money in a certain way and how they restrict signing certain players from here and there. And, and, you know, it has to be a certain age in some cases. If you do sign too many DPs, then you can't use this young money rule. It all, like, you know, you need a PhD in interpreting rules to figure out MLS half the time. I, I spend every day on it, and I still sometimes have to really evaluate whether I know the rules as well as I should. It's, it's a difficult league to follow. And there's also, I think, fundamentally, philosophically, one of the core components to, uh, to this is this belief in the North American system of sport and parity. And if you're going to have a league that has mechanisms in place to control parity, which create, which creates, makes it very difficult to create a super team, a team that competes, it's hard to win international competition one-on-one with other clubs because those leagues don't have that. I've always said that MLS talent top to bottom league-wide is not as far away as, MLS, or as the, the Mexican league as people think. But what is a big gap is the difference in the top teams. And that's because they're, they don't have these restrictions. So I have a hard time. You said that Don Garber wants to win this tournament. In theory, maybe. I don't know if in practice they're willing to do what's needed to do to win this tournament, though. And that's, that's ultimately we'll wait and see. And I think with this week's cup, if something happens where you're finding out that your bottom teams in the league are getting their butt handed to them by the bottom teams in, in Mexico, then maybe they get embarrassed by that and maybe they make changes to try and close that gap. But we'll see. Show me, don't tell me when it comes to that stuff for me. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Four Seasons Fire American Soccer Show as we discuss the new uh, revamped CONCACAF Champions League with Dwayne Rollins of 24th Minute Blog and Soccer Today and Sports Podcasting Network up in Canada. I also, just, I also have Jonathan Slate from the World of CONCACAF Podcast joining me tonight. Jonathan, and you know, once again, you know, there's still going to be some issues here with how this tournament is going to function. But, you know, the one thing I like, though, with the scheduling is this, is that it's no longer going to be, and it's been like this since this current edition, which is still going on. The final will be between Club America and Monterey uh, for the championship in 2021, is that now we're only going to have a one-match final. We're going to have... Goal aggregate matches in the opening round, the round of 16, the quarters and the semis, and now it's going to be just a one-match final. I think that's the one, um, the one nice thing about changing the scheduling format for the Champions League now. We don't have to worry about having a home-and-away legs anymore for the final. It's one and done, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I cannot stand two-legged finals. I mean, I really feel like it, it loses some of the magic. Um, and I would be interested to see, um, even if they went to a neutral site situation, too, uh, down the line, 
Um, but I mean, I, I just, I'm very excited to see a one, a one legged final because I think it, it, yeah, it just builds so much more into the game. And I think that, you know, we've seen, um, a lot of these times, you know, you have a good first leg and then it's trying to figure out, you know, teams may sit back more. Um, it can open the game up at times, but I feel like just that one, that one final match, um, really kind of drives, drives the excitement and will drive more people to watch it. Yeah, it really does, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen uh, in these next editions. And, of course, the current edition will remain the same for 2022 and for the spring of, two, of 2023, and then, of course, everything will be changing uh, in the fall of 2000, summer and fall of 2023, and then, of course, in 2024, we will get to the spring uh, calendar portion of the calendar, I should say, and then, of course, uh, we'll get the brand-new Champions League moving forward. Um, but other than that, Dwayne, have you talked to any of the clubs in the Canadian Premier League um, about this brand-new situation for them that, you know, I, I mean, let's, let's be honest with ourselves here. Hamilton Forge has been, I would say, the beacon for the Canadian Premier League and the gold star of the Canadian Premier League club to really – allow those clubs, those two opportunities, those two spots to go into the brand-new Champions League? I mean, have you talked with the, with the commissioner or the, or the president of the Canadian Premier League? Have you talked to other clubs about, you know, how excited they are that they're finally going to get a big opportunity now, that it won't be just, obviously, as you said, CONCACAF League is probably going to be over with as soon as we get to 2023, but they got two extra spots now, and of course that Canadian Championship spot for the Voyagers Cup. Um, yeah, I talk to people all the time in the pretty much multiple times a week to people in the Canadian Premier League, uh, not necessarily the commissioner, um, who has actually been very difficult to find of late, which is a topic to watch my feed for in the next few days. Anyway, uh, there's a little tease for you. Um, I think what the Canadian Premier League is ultimately, particularly the people in the football ops department, what they're really focused on is to not get too caught up in, in results like this, to not get too worried. Obviously, you celebrate wins, like when Pacific beat uh, the Whitecaps earlier this year. Uh, you celebrate that when Hamilton, uh, when Forge goes down and they're able to, to compete in, and w- with the Central American teams and, and, and advance in a round of the, of the CONCACAF League, that's stuff to, to celebrate, to enjoy, and to to take a lot of um, joy out of, but uh, their focus is about exposing their players to the right people and getting them opportunities beyond them. That This is a league that is never going to try and be the top league in the region. Uh, it is a league that maybe aspires one day to perhaps be as good as the top USL championship teams, but is not necessarily that that's not necessarily the prime focus. And, and they are happy for these, these spots because it exposes them internationally. It helps, uh, potentially uh, get them in front of people that might sign them to to contract somewhere else, and and that really has to be the focus of the league. That has to be what it does. That said, you, you mentioned Forge, and, and to give them a little love for a second here, they are a very good team, and they're going to give the impact, or not the impact, to handle when they play them. Whenever they're able to schedule that game in the semifinals of the Canadian Championship earlier this, or later this year, uh, we saw Pacific beat the Whitecaps in that game. That was a, a huge game for for a team that's made up of a lot of former Whitecaps academy players. So you can imagine. What what that felt like for them to get that win and that one-off competition there. Um, you know, as this, the Canadian Championship Voyagers Cup gets deeper, it's more difficult for those teams to compete, but that they are have shown this year that they can step up and they can impress and, and they can get opportunities. Joel Waterman for, for Montreal comes from the Campiel. 
he was discovered through that process. And that is really the focus of the league and has to remain the focus of the league. And I don't think a change in the format or, or giving them a couple more spots is necessarily going to impact how they, how they uh, consider to move going forward. Now, I want to go to the qualifying method, Jonathan, with you with well, what's going to happen with Liga MX in 2022-2023, as well as uh, MLS finishing up their regular season. Because if you're going to take out a Liga MX champion and the MLS Cup champion away from those relegated – I shouldn't say relegated, but those um, you know assigned spots or those assigned berths, and you're going to move them into the round of 16 to give them the buy out of the opening round – how do you think it's going to set up now officially for these clubs that will qualify for the 2024 CONCACAF Champions League? Now, obviously, it's not up yet. We don't know how it's going to be, but what would you think it would be? Because I don't know how Liga MX does it. I don't think it's a single table. I believe it's a couple of different tables, I'm assuming, three or four, maybe because of the regions they're in or whatever it is. I have to double-check, but... With MLS, we all know there's an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference, and does this mean that for the East and the West, that the top two spots now, at the end of the regular season, will they go in? Yeah, and that's what I'm. That's I think the MLS one is the interesting one too, because we also have to factor in right now a CCL spot is awarded to anyone that to the team that qualifies for or that wins the supporter shield. So is that going to be a situation? Is it going to be, you know, the team that wins the supporter shield um, and then the, the three other teams that have the best record? Or how, how are they going to break, break that down um, is, is kind of where I'm, what I'm interested in. And I think from, you know, looking at both round one and round of 16 is I'm also interested to see how this breakdown comes when it comes to doing the seeding for the round of 16. Are we going to see a situation um like we do in in European soccer, where teams from the same country can't be drawn together in that round of sixteen, um, or is that a situation? Like I'm, just, I'm very interested. Um, looking forward from there is how these teams in round one to the ones that win and move on to the round of sixteen. Those eleven teams, how is how is everybody seated together, and how what does that look like? Um, in that tournament bracket from there. Yeah, I agree with you because it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how this whole thing is going to be set up. It's not just who qualifies from where, but how the draw will be conducted when we get to it. So that's going to be a very interesting moment too. So we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, but finally, Dwayne, obviously, you know, how many times we've heard um, Conmi Bull wanting, you know, at the time, which I don't think is going to happen now, obviously, you know, they've always wanted to bring MLS clubs into their uh, South American club tournaments. We've had in the past DC United and another MLS club play in the Copa Sudamericana. Uh, and of course uh, the Mexican clubs have also wanted to play in the uh, Libertadores, which obviously now no more Mexico. I don't know if the U S um, We'll ever get another invite to be in the Copa America, and we'll have to wait and see, of course. But, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on now where, in my opinion, I have nothing against the clubs in South America. Obviously, you want to see our clubs and our national team have play against better competition to improve themselves. But if we're just thinking about this region and this region alone, and, 
we all know the Caribbean sides are not that strong, but still, though, you never know when one's going to pop out of nowhere, uh, especially in Central America. We all know Olympia's tough. We know Aloenza's tough. Deportivo Saprista has always been a pain in the butt in the back in the days. Comunicaciones has been just difficult as well. But isn't it great to see that clubs within this region are starting to become more dangerous against clubs from Mexico and MLS? Obviously, you want that competitive balance. When it talks about the integration with South America, you know, be careful what you wish for. Um, I'm not sure they're, they're ready to compete at the club level quite there. Uh, the Mexican teams could perhaps, but, uh, you know, when you're talking about MLS team down there, I, I would fear for what that would look like to be blunt. Um, at the national team level, you mentioned whether the Copa America, I'm pretty sure that you'll see both the U.S. and Canada in Copa America in the lead-up to the 2026 World Cup because they won't be in qualifying. So I'm sure that that will probably be what the three confederations do. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that they will look to get into that. So, that, so perhaps that would make that a better tournament. I, I'm, I'm guessing the money will be right and it will happen. That's my guess. Take that to the bank if you wish. Uh, but yeah, you want the rest of the region to step up. You want your Safrisas out there to to, to upset these teams from time to time. Otherwise, you know, it's a slow march to, the, to two Mexican teams in the final every year, and that's ultimately kind of boring competitive-wise, and it holds turns back from, from getting interest. That's probably, to me, is the greatest thing that holds CCL back, is that it is predictable ultimately at the end, that you will see until the quarterfinals, you know, all your matchups, whatever the format is, it's going to end up in the, you know, with five or four Mexican teams, and, four MLS teams in the quarterfinals and then probably three and one and then two two Mexican teams in the final. That's just how it works nine times out of ten and, and you know, forever and ever on. Um, hopefully that gets mixed up. We're, these new formats, I think Mexico understands it's in their best interest to set up formats that, that encourage uh, MLS um, Mexican finals. So I, financially for them, and that's really their benefit of being involved in this, is commercial exercise and, and the comments you saw, the – the introduction press conference under for the League's Cup underlined exactly how much this is about the finances and the business model for, for their involvement. So, you know, I, I anticipate that you will see formats set up that will, will make sure that, uh, that you have these interleague battles as late as possible to avoid same old, same old. But ultimately in the field at the end of the day, same old, same old happens because the team has got to get it done when they're given the opportunity. And Jonathan, you know, just out of curiosity from your perspective and your fellow uh, podcast uh, mates from uh, Podcast, you know, how pleasantly surprised or how excited are you to see this confederation really growing up, really getting stronger and stronger every single year we have these club international tournaments, these national team international tournaments moving forward. Do you see the growth and the strength of this confederation really improving itself? Yeah, I mean, I think we look at, I would say, you know, under uh, Victor Mataglianna, what we've seen with this, like with the region. I mean, I think the introduction of League's Cup was a great step in the right direction for for the region because it's given competitive games to a lot of these Caribbean nations um, that didn't have um, competitive games because they were eliminated from the World Cup so early. even too on the women's side, with now we, we're seeing a launch of a women's uh, CCL, um, the uh, W Nations League, and things like that. So, I mean, I, I'm very excited to see that the region is looking for ways um, to increase their legitimacy and to you know do things better and, and see more teams 
being given the opportunity to come in and uh, and perform and, and improve as well. So, I mean, I think all of us at, at World of CONCACAF are very excited about that. Uh, I think, you know, selfishly as another as an MLS fan as well, too, um, excited for, you know, these home and away games and the a chance to potentially, you know, road games in, in Costa Rica or Panama or, or Mexico. Um, that's really what I'm excited about. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, it's great to see the region as a whole continue um, to look for ways to improve itself and, you know, maybe give a chance, more of a chance to some of these other nations that I feel for so long have just been uh, neglected. I agree with you there, Jonathan, and uh, I, for one, am very excited and very happy because Europe doesn't have to change. South America doesn't have to change. I just think that, at least for CONCACAF, we always have to find ways to improve and be better than what we have seen from the past. And, you know, once the whole situation happened with the money and, of course, with the arresting back in Switzerland many, many years ago, and it looks like we're finally no longer worrying about money under the table and all that underhanded stuff that's been going on uh, for a long, long time. And we're finally moving into a confederation where we will finally now earn respect. And, you know, we don't have to always be worrying about being conca-calf, if everyone knows what I'm talking about, which, of course, you guys do, and so do I. Uh, Jonathan, I, think that's some of the, when, I would say mm-hmm. that's just some of the beauty of the region, though. I mean, I think that it's uh it's what draws me to it and i think that we don't, I, you don't want to lose that too either then that, that that's, that's my personal true. opinion nope that's fine look that that's why we have open debate on this show mm. nothing is against the rules at all we all have free thinking thoughts but gentlemen as always sure, i mm-hmm. so i was just going to say ahead, i'm pretty sure you're still going to have Pretty sure you're still going to have dance parties outside of hotels in Panama before World Cup qualifying games. So that's always going to be part of this region, I'm pretty sure. Or, as or, long as they play my favorite music, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> or vice presidents paying off other teams. Oh, well, geez. yeah. Uh, speaking about that, I have to say this before we even go. And it, this is so concacafy. I can't believe this actually happened. What was it? It's, it's a club from Suriname. That was in the uh, in the Concacaf League. Is that this guy? He was, he's the vice president of the nation of yep. Suriname, but he's also the owner of the club, and he's sixty yep. years old, and he's shooting up to play. I mean, how how crazy is that? And is that legal? Well, he, I mean, he, I, he also sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. I would say I'm just going to props to a sixty year old guy who's still able to get out there and move on the pits like that. <laughs> well, he also paid $100. He was throwing out $100 bills in the dressing room. So maybe they weren't tackling him as hard as they needed to. Very true. I'll tell you right now, he could tell his grandchildren, look what your, uh, look what your grandfather did, and all I had to do was pay $100 <laughs> to every player on the other team. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Jonathan, you're right. It, it doesn't get old. Bring let let's keep the stuff in there. Why not? <laughs> well, I will say I think Suriname has really um, improved themselves uh, in this past Gold Cup that was played this summer. Uh, didn't get out of the group stage that much, but still, though, I thought that they did a good job. But we'll see. But you know, Curacao, I'm very happy that they've 
really done a very good job with themselves, of course, uh, improving in the Caribbean uh, region. But, gentlemen, once again, thank you very much for coming on tonight to discuss the uh, topic of discussion, and uh, hope to talk to all of you again very soon. Thank you again, and have a good night. Cool. Thank you very much. All right. Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog. Soccer Today on the Sports Podcasting Network with Kevin Laramie and Jonathan Schlapp, Slap with, um, excuse me, Jonathan Slate with uh, World of CONCACAF Podcast. So uh, very happy to have them on to discuss this uh, situation with the new uh, revamped CONCACAF Champions League. And the only thing I hope for is that we're going to get more and better football than what we have seen in the past. Glad to see VAR is in the CONCACAF Champions League. But, you know, when it comes to VAR in this region, and the reason, of course, we don't have it for this octagon World Cup qualification round is because none of the other stadiums that are hosting these games have the uh, technology nor have the ability to have the technology in these stadiums, which is why I think it's time that both CONCACAF and FIFA, that they will bring in some financial support and assist these federations to build brand new facilities or at least build a facility outside the stadium so that they are able to have VAR. Because this is getting to the point where it's ridiculous. We're in the 20, we are in the, uh, you know, the modern day. I'm not saying it's a backwards situation or anything like that. I'm just saying that if we have it in MLS in the U.S. and Canada, if we have it in Mexico for Liga MX, and we're going to have it now for uh, CONCACAF Champions League matches, we've got to have it for these important World Cup qualification matches. And at the same time, it's also in the CONCACAF Nations League match. CONCACAF League, don't know if it's in it or not. I'm assuming it is. But until then, we've got to make sure that these stadiums have the, you know, the facilities to install VAR all over the stadiums, and it, it has to happen. I really believe that the federations of each Central American and Caribbean nation uh, of all the stadiums around, whether it be a little pitch of nothing to a decent-sized stadium, we got to have the, the, the technology all over the place so VAR can work, period. And we don't have to worry too much about these problems of not having VAR. Okay, now it's time to talk about the New York Red Bulls. How about this? A three-match unbeaten streak, two wins and a draw. They get a draw at home against New York City FC on Wednesday night. And then over the weekend at Yankee Stadium, a one-goal victory against the blue team. The main crux from NYCFC's side of the argument was that that was not a scissors challenge by Keaton Parks from behind on Drew Yearwood, so that should never have been a red card. Maybe yellow at best. But it was a scissors challenge. And then, of course, the handball, where many people think it's not a handball, where I believe it is a handball, and I'll tell you why. It's not so much that the ball struck his chest it's that the left arm of Maxime Cheneau moved forward and he did touch the ball. 
That is not hand. That is not ball to hand. It is hand to ball. And that is why VAR came in. VAR contacted Ishmael Elfaf to inform him we have a situation here that you need to look at. He did. And the one thing I think we have to understand is, okay, if it hits him in the chest first, fine. Not a big deal. But you still saw the left arm swinging forward towards the ball. I have looked at that replay video many, many times on YouTube. And to me, that's handball. How many times have we seen the Red Bulls be called for a handball where it doesn't it looks like it's ball to hand, but they called it handball because the arm was in an unnatural position. And the one call for handball, which I've always felt that should not have been a handball, was the one on Amro Tarek before he transferred out to Egypt, uh, back to his homeland. In Montreal, slid on the pitch in Stad Saputo. Yes, his hands were out. Yes, they were separated, but he was down on the pitch. He did not make any movements towards the ball. He slid on the pitch, on the turf. Yes, his hands were out because he's trying to hold himself up while sitting down. And did the ball hit his hand? Yes, it did. Did he handle the ball? No, he did not. Were his hands away from his body? Yes, but you have to understand that when you are sliding down on the pitch and you're holding yourself up and your butt down to your feet are on the, on the turf and your hands are in a separated position, what are you supposed to do when you're staying still and you're not making any movements? To me, that was not a handball on Amro Tarek, and that should never have been allowed by VAR to say, well, we think that's a handball. Well, okay, that's a handball. Blow the whistle for the handball. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous on that one. But it did matter, you know, on that one. The ball went in after the third attempt because Carlos Coronel kept leaving his line too early. But <clears throat> I still call it baloney. But what are you going to do? This is the situation you're in. But for Maxime Cheneau, that was a handball. Once again, the left arm moving forward towards the ball. And even Cheneau knew when you saw his body language and his facial expressions. You knew. He knew. He screwed up. He knew. He handled the ball. If you're going to tell me that's not a handball, then I don't know what it is anymore, what a handball is. And for Cheneau? Second yellow card, because he got one for time-wasting earlier in the match. Second yellow card, got the red, gone. Him and Keaton Parks were suspended for Saturday's match at Yankee Stadium. Patrick Lamala, cool as you like, found a way to bury the ball past Sean Johnson, and it ended in a 1-1 draw. 
Four points in two matches right there. And then you go to Yankee Stadium, and then it's the Bronx-born superstar in Omir Fernandez who went to Yankee Stadium and in the 43rd minute buried a great ball given to him by Kyle Duncan. All the Red Bulls needed, and to be honest with you, that game on Saturday, they looked a lot better than the game on Wednesday because on Wednesday they didn't look like themselves in the opening half. And Saturday, they went guns a-blazing, balls to the wall. They were on point, attacking, playing hard, playing strong, and they found a way to convert that goal. Great job by Kyle Duncan to absolutely, which he admits he just blindly put the ball in that spot because he wasn't expecting anybody to be over there, but it was a brilliant ball to put it in that spot anyway inside the New York City area. And Omir Fernandez sneaks in, smashes it in, 1-0 Red Bulls, celebrate it like Cuauhtémoc Blanco. And Omir Fernandez, who lives 10 minutes away from Yankee Stadium in the South Bronx, scores the match winner. Great defense, great goalkeeping by Carlos Coronel. And the New York Red Bulls score four points in two matches against the blue side. And they have one more match to go. One more match to go. In this series for 2021. And all you can say is this. This. This match was the exclamation point to a possible turnaround of the season. They have to play like this every single day, every single time. They have to be either at Red Bull Arena or on the road. Right now, if you look at their schedule, they still have a home game against Atlanta United. They have a road game at D.C. United. They have a road game at Cincinnati. They have a home game against Montreal. They have a home game against New York City FC. They have to make up the home game against Miami. Still have at least, I would think, six to seven games left. Maybe more than that. They still have to go on the road in Nashville. They still have to host Atlanta United. This situation is not over just yet. I thought the back line played strong. I thought Gerhard Struber got his tactics right. I really believe that Gerhard Struber has been doing a very good job. The problem is when you have a young team, sometimes you're going to need half or three-quarters of a season, mostly half a, half a season, to get things done the correct way so that you can start playing much better. And even though that they had a hiccup in the opening 45 on Wednesday night, they still found a way, with a little help from VAR on Wednesday, to at least steal a point, and then they get the full three points in the Bronx, and that's the first win in Yankee Stadium since the Red Wedding match back in 2016 in May. And on that day, it was Manchester United winning the FA Cup. 
So the Red of Manchester wins the FA Cup championship, and the red side of New York destroys the blue side of New York 7-0. 7-0. It is unbelievable that it's taken five years for the New York Red Bulls to finally get another win at Yankee Stadium after, I would say, one or two, one one draw and uh, four losses, I think. The New York Rebels finally, finally getting that break that they needed, getting that break when they had to, and they go home happy with the one goal to nil victory. And now they are on a three-match unbeaten streak with seven points. It all started with the four-goal barrage down in Fort Lauderdale against Inter-Miami. The draw and the away victory against the blue side of New York. Back to a midweek matchup this Wednesday night against the Philadelphia Union. Then they go on the road for their very first visit to to TQL Stadium. It should be exciting. It should be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. And we will see what will happen on Wednesday night when they're taking on in the top three in the standings of the Eastern Conference when the New York Red Bulls will host for the final time this season against the Philadelphia Union. Got to score point. Got to score some goals. Got to get some points. We'll see what happens this coming Wednesday night. Other than that, once again, do not forget, October is coming very soon. CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. The United States will be taking on three opponents again as they're going to host Jamaica, on Thursday, October the 7th, at the Q2 Stadium in Austin, Texas. And that's going to be at 7 o'clock, excuse me, 7.30 Eastern Time. And that will be on ESPN2, 6.30 Central. And then on Sunday, October the 10th, at 6 o'clock Eastern Time, The United States will be on the road at Panama. That match will be exclusively broadcasted through CBS Sports on the Paramount Plus app. So you're going to be watching everything on the Paramount Plus app as we get ready for this one. Also check Spanish language stations, probably Telemundo, for the road match. And that will be at 6 Eastern over at the Estadio Romel Fernandez in Panama City. And then back at home on Wednesday, October the 13th at Lower.com Field in Columbus, Ohio. And that match will be at 7 o'clock Eastern time. The United States taking on Costa Rica. The home matches will be on ESPN2. The road matches, all road matches for the United States will be on either Paramount Plus app or CBS Sports Network. Check your local listings for the channel number so you can watch it 
or at least get over to your smartphone devices to watch it through there or check Telemundo for the road matches uh, for the United States. So it should be very interesting to watch this one. The technology is available, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead and use it and go ahead and watch it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Once again, Thursday, October 7th against Jamaica in Austin, Texas. Sunday, October the 10th, down in Panama City against Panama, October the 10th. And USA hosts Costa Rica, Wednesday, October 13th, at Columbus, Ohio. The two home matches will be on ESPN2, while the road match, once again, on Paramount Plus app on your smartphone devices. And it should be a lot of fun. And don't forget to join me every single World Cup qualification match here on the For Your Steens Fire American Soccer Show. Try to get you guests for these games as we move forward towards the possibility of qualification to Qatar. And uh, no more than six points should be earned out of these three games. You hope for seven, beg for nine. We'll see if it's a clean sweep. But do not feel disappointed if it's a draw. We'll see what happens moving forward. Oh, and I just found out now. Panama are banning players who play in England. So, because of the whole coronavirus situation, of course... England probably banned Panamanians to come to their country. So the Panamanians are banning the English or whoever's been playing in England, excuse me, to come over and be a part. So we don't want to have another Argentina versus Brazil situation on our hands. So that would probably mean Christian Pulisic will not be in camp or will not play the match on the road in Panama. So it should be interesting to watch. I want to thank my guests tonight, of course, Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, Soccer Today, Sports Podcasting Network up in Canada with Kevin Laramay, and then, of course, Jonathan Slape from the World of CONCACAF Podcast, PodCACAF. This is Daniel Feuerstein here saying thank you very much for listening to me tonight. I hope all of you are going to have a good evening Enjoy yourselves. Please be careful. Please be safe out there. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.